Open our Bibles, please, tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. I'm very glad to be here and to this opportunity, uh, as the Lord helps us to open the Scriptures of Truth this evening at this particular meeting. In this centenary year, I have been just thinking this week of the very first time I heard our brother speak. It was just before going into Bible college. Uh, it was either 1990 or 91. I'm not actually sure which of those years it was, but it was uh, in and around that time. And interestingly enough, uh, our brother obviously had books with him. The meeting was in Kalskiri, and I actually purchased the book that particular t- weekend uh, that he was advertising tonight, as I, I actually remember. And uh, it was of profit even to refer to it in looking at our subject and at other times as well, of course. We do plan to be with you next month. Um, We have uh, our lodgings booked uh, for next month, so excepting for uh, events that we haven't planned for, we intend to be down with you next month. month and to share in the celebration of this milestone in the history of uh, the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. And we look forward uh, to those meetings, both here on the Friday night and then again on the Saturday, looking to the Lord to richly bless us. As we have said, we're turning here to Matthew's Gospel and the chapter 25. And our text is, of course, the words of the verse 31. Let's read those words together again. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. The subject allotted. For this meeting is the throne of his glory. What a tremendous thought that is tonight. And may the Lord even take those words themselves and impress them and implant them deep into our hearts and souls tonight. But with God's word before us, let's just seek the Lord, please, again in prayer. Father, we turn afresh to thee. As we come now around the the scriptures of truth, we pray that thou wilt close us in with thyself. Thank thee for that tremendous promise. Thou hast said where the twos and threes are met together in my name, there am I. Yes, we look back with gladness to days that are past when multitudes came To hear God's truth, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that was. But Lord, you knew as well that there would be seasons when thy people will meet in small groups. And Lord, we thank thee that thou hast given us this promise. A promise that we have proven true. And Lord, it's thy presence. 
It's thy speaking voice we seek tonight. Beyond what the preacher has to say. May the Savior draw near to us tonight and speak to our souls. Bring to us, Lord, a word in season. Bring to us a word from heaven. Unlock the scriptures of truth. And then, Lord, unlock our hearts. That there might be an imbibing of God's truth. Lord, sow the seed. Break up the fallow ground tonight. May there be a sowing of thy word upon that good ground. And may there be a bringing forth of fruit unto the glory of God. Abide with us now. Bless us. And minister to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When so much of what you and I meet with in this world is in truth a puzzle to us. When there are so many things around us that are beyond our understanding. When so often we find ourselves perplexed Unable to untangle that which is being presented to us in the world. When that is the case, so often we cry out, what does the future hold? When we look tonight upon our own nation, are we in Europe or are we out of Europe? Do do anyone anyone in the political establishment really know? There are sixes and sevens, we would say. What does the future hold for us? Where are we as a people of God when we look out on the spiritual scene? What a confused message is being presented by the professing church of Christ. Do we believe the Bible or do we not? Where then are we to find an anchor for our souls? How good it is to take down our Bibles. To open them up here before us tonight. And to find recorded words like these. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. And all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. You don't hear our prime minister making such a statement as this. Speaking with such certainty as this. Or any other political leader. You won't meet with words Embodying such absolute clarity that's found here in this place. There's not the slightest ambiguity in this statement. Here is something that most certainly is going to take place without any doubt. If for a moment 
you turn your eyes just down to the very next chapter and you will find there again reference made uh, to the Son of Man to something that was going to happen in the future oh it was the near future granted but it was still the future when these words were spoken chapter 26 and the verse 2 ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Here Christ is making another forecast. One we know that has taken place exactly as he has stated here in Matthew 26 verse 2. So then just assuredly, just assuredly tonight as the betrayal and the crucifixion of Christ took place exactly as the Saviour had stated, so will his coming again in glory and in power. Just exactly as he has declared. Because you see, it's only the coming of the Saviour. Only the establishing of his almighty throne and the setting up of his visible rule that can possibly bring clarity into this world that's presently ruled over by sinful men and suffering the chaos that inevitably results from the rule of sinful man. It's only Christ's kingdom. It's only the rule of Christ, the eternal king, that can make this world what God intended it to be. In these present verses, we consider the point where the history of this world changes. We behold Christ here in the air, sitting on the throne of his glory. At his first coming, Christ came to the lowly place. Christ came to the place of humility and shame. His glory then was hidden. His glory then was veiled. It was concealed. But this will not be the case at his second coming. Then, and yes, from the very beginning, even as he is making his journey to earth, that glory will be manifest. It will be revealed. Oh, wonderful day, we say tonight, glorious day, long anticipated day, long looked for day, the day of Christ's glory, the day of Christ's glory. We want then tonight to think about this subject, 
to look at what's before us here. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. First of all, consider from this verse, from this passage, how the one who occupies this throne is he redemptified. That's where I want you to begin thinking this evening about this subject. Let's fix our gaze tonight upon the one who sits upon the throne and especially how he is here identified to us. There are certain titles used here and and we should keep in mind as we go through this subject that these are Christ's own descriptions of himself in relation all the while to his coming again. He who sits upon the throne is here said to be the son of man. He's here said to be the shepherd. He is here said to be the king. Take the first one, the son of man. As you read through the gospel accounts, I'm sure you have noticed that this is a title that very often appears, it's very often used by Christ to to describe himself. Could we not say that it's one of his favourite descriptions of himself? The Son of Man. And when you come to that title for the first time, and I speak here personally, I know this is how it was for me when I thought about this title myself first of all, I considered that here... We have an affirmation of the humanity of Christ. The Son of Man. Christ is affirming that he was truly man. I thought, and I would suggest that a great many people, if not everyone, would naturally think that way. Yet a little more investigation will uncover the truth that in fact this title points us rather in the direction of the deity of Christ. And I say that because of how it's used in the Old Testament and very likely the very portion that Christ thinks of as he uses this If you turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, and we'll read here from the verse 13, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, And they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory. And a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom 
that shall not be destroyed. Here, here we have this very title, the Son of Man. And he, he is seen here to come before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives to him an everlasting domain that shall not be destroyed, that shall not pass away. An everlasting dominion. An everlasting dominion. This one referred to by Daniel, of course, is Christ. The Messiah, the Son of God. Thus, by taking this title so prolifically as he does throughout the scriptures, discovering this title so often on the lips of our Saviour, we, we discover that Christ is confessing and denying not that he is indeed the Messiah. That he is indeed the eternal son of the Most High. The very one that is described in our passage. Coming into the air. He is. He is the son of man. The Son of Man, as identified by Daniel. Then, as I earlier stated, our passage tonight, these verses that are before us for our consideration, describe the one sitting upon this throne as the shepherd. He's the shepherd. This is that great title, of course, that shows to us. The role that Christ has during the days of his rejection. Namely right here and now Christ is the shepherd of his sheep. He is the shepherd of those whom he has chosen and redeemed unto himself by his precious blood. Today Christ is the chief shepherd of his sheep. Of the church of Christ he is the head. The great types of Christ in the Old Testament point this very fact out to us most clearly. Think of Moses. How was Moses occupied? In what trade was he found during that period of time when he was rejected by the sons of Jacob? And when he was outcast by the Gentiles, by the Egyptians, Moses was occupied in the trade of being a shepherd. Therefore, the type points to this glorious truth tonight. Christ is the shepherd of his sheep. Then we think of King David. And don't we all know tonight, David was a shepherd of his father's sheep also before his exaltation to the throne in Israel. He was taken from the sheepfold and anointed king by Samuel. This is the title 
And this is the role that Christ fulfills right now over his church on earth. He is our shepherd. Then at the very moment when Christ is near to his rejection and humiliation, he uses a third title to describe the one here upon this throne. And this particular title we do not hear very often from the lips of Christ during his earthly ministry, during his humiliation. But very tellingly, very significantly, I, I, I feel, at this moment, just before entering into the darkness of the cross, just before his little company of followers come face to face with the brutal reality of his crucifixion and his rejection, Christ leaves them with this glorious title ringing in their ears. He claims to be king because don't forget all the while here it is Christ who is speaking. He's king. And before they descend into the coming darkness, Christ underscores this truth. He assures his followers that this is not the last sight they will get of him. The last view of Christ will not be his humiliation. Christ will come again in glory. Praise his holy name. And is that not a glorious truth for us likewise tonight to take to heart? In these days when men have no time for Christ, when men have no time for the teaching of Christ, is this not a tremendous truth to encourage your hearts? Then secondly, we have to give some consideration I believe here to the glory of this throne. Read again the words of our text. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. There's just no mistaking the fact. There's no getting away from the fact tonight that glory surrounds this throne glory radiates from this throne this indeed is a most glorious throne there's no taint there's no pollution there's nothing to dishonor this throne it's a glorious throne that descends here to the air now the point in particular that I presently want to make is this. This glory, this majesty, this, this splendor that radiates from, surrounds this throne, encompasses this throne. This glory is not borrowed from anyone else. This glory Christ has in his own right. The dignity of his own person and the glory of his own person.
person demand. The majesty here. Christ radiates forth in this place his own divine magnificence. Because twice here in this verse 31, those words are repeated. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Mark the words. Come in his glory. And all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. It's his glory. What magnificence. What excellency. What preeminence. What dignity. What grace. Encompasses this throne. This scene. What was veiled, what was hidden at Christ's first coming is now revealed at his second. He hasn't even reached earth yet. Yet his glory, his glory now is manifest. When men looked upon our Saviour at his first advent, they saw no beauty in him. Therefore they mocked him, they derided him, they scorned him, and ultimately they put him to death. But that's not how it is now. This is the kingly majesty that belongs to Christ as supreme ruler. The majesty... Of this scene is the absolute perfection of Christ's deity. Remember, this is what Christ himself is teaching us. Himself. That's that's a very significant fact tonight. Christ is claiming this glory as his. He is speaking here upon earth in human flesh. But he is claiming this glory as his own. This fact perhaps easily passed over. This fact forces us into one of two conclusions. Either Christ is whom he claims to be the eternal son of God. The Messiah. Or he is an imposter, a deceiver. There there is no middle ground. Those who will come to your door and advocate that yes, he was a good teacher are on sinking sand because Christ claimed much more. He claims here in his own words glory that is all his own. This this a mere mortal man cannot do and dare not do. The glory of this throne. But next we must think about when this throne is established. He is said in this place to come. 
Do you notice in our verse? He is said to come with all His holy angels. This is a coming with the heavenly host. And I will ask you to please mark this because it is a point of contrast with what Paul, what Paul the Apostle tells us of Christ coming when his feet actually touch the earth in First Thessalonians. We, we have to take into account here the order of these events. If you notice what's said in First Thessalonians chapter thirteen, or verse three, or chapter three, verse thirteen, First Thessalonians three, verse thirteen, the end of the chapter, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. This is when Christ's feet touch the earth. He is said to be coming with the saints. Here. As he has made his journey from heaven. He said to be coming with his holy angels. In these words in Matthew, Christ has made the first part of that journey from heaven to earth. And it is at that point in the air where he meets with his saints. And they are caught up to meet, to meet him in the air as again we read in in 1st Thessalonians a chapter further on this time 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 and the verse 17 then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air So shall we ever be with the Lord. Here is where this throne of glory that we are looking at tonight is situated. It's in the air. Therefore, it comes before what we read in those well-known words in the prophecy of Zechariah. The chapter 14. Do you remember what we read there? As I say it's very important to get the timeline here correct. Zechariah chapter 14 and the verse 4. Points to that moment in time when Christ's feet touch the earth. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Which is before Jerusalem. On the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. 
The half of the mountain shall, shall remove toward the north and the half of it toward the south. But this throne of glory appears in the clouds where we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air as he's making his journey from heaven to earth. This is when this throne appears. It's important in scripture to notice the different thrones. This is not the great white throne spoken of in the latter part of Revelation chapter 20. The throne here in Matthew 25 verse 31 is not the judgment seat of Christ. Of Christ. Where he rewards his servants that we read about. Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 14 the verse 10. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the verse 10. Neither is this the judgment of the nations. That we read about in Joel chapter 3. And there in the early part of Luke's gospel we also read about David's throne. You have, to, you have to identify these thrones in the scripture. This throne here appears in the air as he descends from heaven. And as he's on his journey to earth, this throne is manifest. I will now next turn your attention tonight to the gathering before the throne. Look at the verse 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Now it is to be pointed out. That the word here translated nations is more commonly and more frequently translated Gentiles. And it's good for us to keep that more common translation in view here. This more strict translation is exceedingly helpful. Then again, we have to keep an eye on the context the context of the rest of the parables in this book the rest of the parables here in this chapter oh we can't lift this portion out of its context that's why many have come to a wrong understanding of what throne is in view in this place And certainly it's not every single Gentile that's here. No, it is those Gentiles that fit into the titles of sheep and goats. Those who have made, in other words, profession, the profession of Christ. Who claim to be his followers. In Luke 
Or in Matthew chapter 13, we read of the tares and wheat. Well, it's the sheep and the goats here. It's referring to, it's referring to the professors of Christ. And as in other parables here in Matthew, it is the professing church that gathers here before the Lord. That's what's in view. It's the professing church. Clearly also, this cannot be all nations because Israel isn't here. The remnant of whom will be converted unto Christ when he comes to the earth. The nations of Antichrist are clearly not here because they are consumed by the presence of his coming to earth. Yes, and there are all those heathen nations that have not heard the fame or seen the glory of Christ that we read about there in the last chapter of the, of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66. Do you remember what you read there about these nations? Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 19. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations of Tarshish, Pulud, that draw the bow, Tubal, and Javan, to the isles afar off, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles, and they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations, upon horses, and in chariots, and in litters, and upon mules, and upon swift beasts. To my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring it, an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. At Christ's coming into the air on his journey from heaven, the professing flock of Christ will be gathered before this throne. And as we think about this word translated here in our text as nations, which more frequently is translated as Gentiles, it's good for us also to remember that Paul uses this very term to describe New Testament believers. He calls them Gentiles. Because that chiefly is where Christ's flock is to be found. It is then the professing body of Christ, I say, on earth that is called here before the throne of Christ's journey, or of Christ's glory, as he is making his journey to earth. It's Gentile professors. Gentile professors. Something else I think we need to to notice here and it is the ministration of 
this through. Note what it is that takes place before this throne. At the throne of Christ's glory, the Lord will separate the sheep from the goats. Because you see, as yet he is still the shepherd. He is still the shepherd. Because as yet his feet have not stood upon the Mount of Olives. Verse 32 explains. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goat. To refer back to that other parable of Christ in Matthew chapter 13. There is a weeding out here of the tares from the wheat. Here the goats are placed on the left hand reserved to the moment of final punishment. But the sheep enter into life everlasting. Nothing more than this is for now accomplished. There is here a severing of the wise from the foolish. From the the sheep from the goats. The Lord, you see, begins this great day that his coming will usher in. The day of his power and glory. By putting into practice something that the Apostle Peter tells us in his epistle. First first Peter. Let's just turn to his words. First Peter the chapter 4 and the verse 17. First Peter 4. Please in the verse 17. Where we read these words. For the time has come. That judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Here's a principle. Judgment begins at the house of God. It begins at the house of God. And that's a principle Christ is following. As he here begins his descent to earth here is the separating of all true believers from mere professed believers in the church you see the coming of this throne will bring to an end the era of false Christianity it will bring to an end the era of false Christianity What a sobering thought that is tonight. Lastly, I want to close by thinking of the words that proceed from this throne. Oh, we have said many things about this throne tonight. But I think you have to hear the words that proceed from this throne 
Especially two words. They sum everything else up. Oh, what solemnity, what seriousness is brought before us as we consider here the sentence that proceeds from this throne of Christ's glory. Look at the verse 34. Then shall the king say, Remember, I'm pointing you out tonight the words that proceed from this throne. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come. Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's that wonderful word, come. This is a word that all the true believers have already heard. Come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now they hear it from the king. Come. Ye blessed of my Father. Come ye blessed. What a wonderful word that is. But turn with me to the verse 41. For here we have a very different word. An altogether different word. Verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand. Depart from me. Ye cursed into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. You say to me tonight, depart where? Well, considering as we have said, gathered before Christ, thrown in the air, are all professed believers. They're to depart here to a very different place. To be with the devil and his angels. The devil and his angels. How sobering, how serious is this sentence that flows from this throne. With an unerring eye, the Son of Man, the Lord of glory, will sever between the sheep and the goats. His angels doing his bidding. Oh, what an awe-inspiring, a truly awe-inspiring. Oftentimes that word is used today inappropriately. Men like to speak about an awe-inspiring experience that has nothing to do with God. Well, that's a misuse of that word. Here's a truly awe-inspiring scene. It's the throne of Christ's glory. And they who follow on with Christ as Christ then makes his journey to earth will indeed be the true church of Christ. I wonder tonight as I speak to you as an individual in this meeting will you be there? One of that number. Have you hearkened So that invitation that Christ now gives, come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, dear soul, tonight, unless you find Christ as your Savior, 
then you will never, never hear those words spoken from this throne. Spoken here in this place. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, tonight may the Lord bless his own precious word to all of our hearts and encourage our hearts tonight by his truth, for Christ's sake. Amen.